We go to God's word now and we spend time reading the Bible and thinking about it, talking about it together, reflecting on it. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter two, three and four. I'll lead us through the different verses. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter two. You can also just listen along. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Beginning in verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Skipping down to verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, they said. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 12, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of all of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when the crowds heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That day, thousands were added to the number of believers. Sometime after that, we are jumping to chapter three, Peter and John went up to the temple at three in the afternoon, as was their custom, as well as other devout Jewish men, to pray. And as they were approaching the temple, a beggar who was disabled in his legs started asking them for money. And Peter said, to the man that we don't have any money, but we'll give you what we do have. And they prayed and the man was healed. And he began to jump and dance and people crowded around in the temple. And so Peter saw the crowds and the man clinging to him and began to speak again, this time in front of the temple, not just in Jerusalem. In verse 12 of chapter three, 
And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this man? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the, de the dead. To this we are witnesses. Verse 19 of chapter 3. Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. When the priests and the temple guards saw the commotion and heard Peter preaching, they came and arrested him. Chapter 4, starting in verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Verse 7, and when they had set Peter and John in their midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? Heal the man and preach. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when the religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I wanted to read a longer section just so we could reflect together on all that God was doing in Peter's life at this time. And as I was thinking about what has transpired in Peter's life in the book of Acts, and if you went backwards to the book of Luke, everything that's happened has happened in a very short amount of time. It's been just a couple months when Pentecost hits, a couple months from the time of the crucifixion. Um, it's been just a couple of years that they've been with Jesus. And my question that I was thinking about was, how much any of us have changed over the past few months or years? If you think about yourself, think about just for a minute with me, how much have you changed in the past 50 or 60 days? Go back to the end of May, let's say. Or if you want to go back a little further, go back five or six months before COVID-19 hit. In fact, go back an entire year. How much have you changed in two months, five or six months, one year? When I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, two months ago, the end of May, was no different, right? We were in the middle of COVID-19. It was kind of uncertain what was next. 
um, been through a long period of lockdown and things were beginning to open up. So there's a little bit of hopefulness in that. It's now maybe, you know, not quite as exciting as it was because we've seen things, you know, grow all over the country. But if I go back six months or five or six months before COVID-19 hit, Everything was great at that point. I would just had some fun stuff at coaching a, a basketball team, had had some enjoyment because I love sports, watching those, getting excited about the NCAA tournament coming up, um, spending time with friends and family. And if I go back a year, one year ago, we were as a church in a summer of discernment that was so good for me and I know for many of you listening to God, understanding what God was calling us to do individually, and I was very hopeful and excited about what God was beginning to do in our churches. We were trying to discern where God was leading us. And I was seeing and sensing God moving in, in leading me as well. But I also think whether I go back two months or five months or a year, it's not that I'm much different. My circumstances have changed, so have yours. But you know, I've always been a thinker, somebody who likes to read and meditate. I was doing that two months ago, five months ago, a year ago. I, I like to create, I like to come up with ideas to think about things and, and create new ideas. And I've been doing that for years. I'm futuristic and think about new ideas and, and where we're going, where I'm going, where our church is going. And I can't not do that, but that hasn't changed. I'm fairly emotionally flat you know, bad days, good days, but eh, pretty emotionally flat. Um, I, I still think I'm pretty cool, although that's become less so as my kids have gotten older. When they're young, you actually think you're cool. And then they become a little older, they get out of elementary school and they don't think you are. So th that foundation maybe shakes a little bit, but by and large, I'm the same person I've been for years with slow development and growth. Peter, however, has radical transformation over the course of just days, weeks, or months. Here he is in Acts chapter two, before a crowd of people gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and he, ex he preaches publicly in Jerusalem. This is just 50 days after Jesus has been crucified, 50 days after the death of Christ, he's there saying to everyone, Jesus, Jesus is Christ. He is the risen Christ and Savior and Lord. Repent and believe in him. A few weeks after that, um, he's in Jerusalem at the temple, the very center of religious life in Jerusalem. He heals a man with, with John and then begins preaching in the temple courts. He gets arrested and is put on trial by the very people who put Jesus on trial, probably in the same house, in the house of the high priest where trials were taking place. Just weeks, months before. And he boldly proclaims the gospel and says, there is one name under heaven by which we must be saved, Jesus. Within a couple months or a year after that, they're threatened and even beaten. And he will not stop proclaiming Jesus. What has happened? If we go back 50 days before Pentecost, Peter was in that same courtroom scene 
that he was denying, he was denying Jesus at that point. 50 days earlier before Pentecost, he was denying knowing Jesus in the Jerusalem area. A few months before that, when Jesus said, we need to go to Jerusalem where I'll be crucified, it was Peter saying, no, Lord, let's not go there. Let's find another way, not to death, not to crucifixion. In Acts, Peter fearlessly proclaims that Jesus alone is the risen Savior and Lord, and he calls on everyone to repent. Everyone in the city, everyone in all of Israel, all the religious leaders, repent and put your trust in Jesus. Just weeks before, he was scared to death that he too would be arrested, that he would say the wrong things, that Jesus would die, that he would die. So what happened? How was he transformed so quickly? I think we see three things that have happened that are pretty evident in the text and in the life of, of Peter. First, the resurrection of Jesus has happened. Second, the restoration of Peter when Jesus forgives him on the shore, which we talked about last week. And third, what we read today, Pentecost has happened and the Holy Spirit has fallen in fullness on Peter and the disciples. So let's walk through each of those and see what they might tell us. So the first thing we get is this. We get the resurrection. One of the reasons why Peter has changed so dramatically, so quickly from fearful and denying Jesus to boldly proclaiming him is he has seen Jesus risen from the dead. And at this point, he believes Jesus truly is the Messiah and the Lord. And he has risen. He has conquered death. And the result of this is Peter is actually fearless. He now doesn't fear death in the same way because he sees the one he has put his trust in has overcome death. And the assurance of that is that death is not the end. You cannot be killed forever. And so he has this fearlessness that comes from the acknowledgement that Jesus was not finished. The resurrection has become reality to him. And in the midst of that, he's also seen how God has fulfilled his purposes in Jesus. If you actually read Acts 2, 3, 4, and all the sermons of Peter, in every one, he spends extensive time quoting the Old Testament, the Psalms, and Joel, and, and Isaiah, and he's, he's quoting the Old Testament in order to say, everything that has happened in Jesus, God has planned from the beginning of time. God has been at work. Israel knew this. The faithful Jews knew this. God was God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the Lord of the universe, the creator. And all of history was in his hands. And he was bringing it to bear for his people and the whole world and the renewal of creation. And Peter sees and believes very firmly because of the resurrection that this has taken place in Jesus. And so it's actually his understanding of the scriptures going into God's word that gives him the awareness of how big God is. And then God uses all things, even death, even the crucifixion of his son. And it's all been there. And so God has become very big to him. In Jesus, who was vindicated and risen. I think you and I need to know God's word better. From Genesis to Revelation, to understand that God is at work. We see circumstances around us 
politics and pandemics and our circumstances in our life, and we lose sight of the fact that God is in control of all things. It may not play out how we want it to, but the more we understand God at work, the more we see what he's doing and has been doing all along, how it pointed to Jesus, how the things that, that unfolded were things they didn't expect, and God used them to bring about the vindication of his son and the hope of resurrection for all people. The more we understand God's word, the bigger God becomes to us. We will never be fearless unless we understand God's word and have a very, very big God, a risen Lord who has conquered all things. So I think the first reason why Peter has changed so much is because the reality of the resurrection has assured him and given him that sure and certain confidence that God has fulfilled all he had planned to do in Jesus. That's his new reality and starting point and foundation. The second is this. The second is, is that Peter has been restored. So first, it's the resurrection of Jesus. Second, it's his own restoration. Just last week, we read on John, in John chapter 21 how after his resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples. And in John 21, he appears to the disciples up in Galilee on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he, he makes a, a breakfast for the disciples, including John and Peter. And then he has a conversation with Peter in which he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And he's walking through Peter's three denials of Jesus. He's walking through Peter's greatest sin and shame and guilt. And Jesus is saying, I forgive you, Peter. Will you accept my forgiveness? And as Jesus walks him through and Peter admits, admits his brokenness and sin and is no longer standing boldly trying to be brave and saying, here's how much I know I'm the smartest guy and I'm not that bad. When he falls on the mercies of Jesus entirely, he experiences the love and forgiveness of Jesus fully. And he is finally free. He's free from his own guilt and shame. So I think by the time of Pentecost and Acts, Peter has begun or is beginning to understand or begins now or fully understands the fullness of the gospel. The gospel isn't about how to get to know God in order to be a better person. The gospel is Jesus Christ was crucified for you and offers you forgiveness of your sins for nothing. You don't bring anything to the table. You don't come to Jesus and say, hey, I've done a lot of good things. Therefore, it kind of overcomes my bad stuff or we diminish our bad stuff by pointing to others. We just fall on his mercy. Peter because of his denials and Jesus' forgiveness of him in John 21, experiences the fullness of the gospel, that it's by grace that even Peter, the saint, has been saved. So Peter is finally secure in himself. He's not trying to measure himself against James and John. He's not trying to compare himself to the religious, the Pharisees, or the, the sinners, He's accepting the free forgiveness and grace of Jesus. I think that we often are not fully transformed because we lack 
an understanding of an experience of forgiveness, <laughs> both being forgiven and doing forgiveness. You know, I, if I look back on my own life, I can, ex I can t think about periods of my life when I was wrestling with my own sin and I don't think I fully grasp the depths of the grace of the gospel. I believe Jesus was crucified for my sins, but I dealt with constant guilt and shame and these cycles of guilt and shame and guilt and shame. And the result of having regular habitual sin that we wrestle with, if we don't understand the gospel, we keep trying to try harder at not doing or thinking or being the kind of person we don't wanna be but we end up falling into cycles of guilt because we mess up and then shame and then unworthiness. And the result of that is that we feel like we can't be who we're supposed to be. I, I even at those times as a teenager in, in college and just after was a leader and a Christian minister in some ways, even as a, as a high school kid. I just didn't feel like I should be that sort of person. Who am I trying to be a Christian when I have all these sins? So I'm looking at my record to justify my calling. I'm trying to measure up to a certain standard in order to feel worthy to be able to do what God has made me to do. I didn't understand the fullness of forgiveness, even as I talked about it. I've seen others who wrestle with bitterness and unforgiveness, holding back, withholding forgiveness, not completely letting the person go. And in part, it's because some of you out there have been incredibly hurt, incredibly hurt, had broken trust, had been horribly hurt by people, and you hold back forgiveness. But the result of that is you never feel forgiven yourself either. Because as long as you're holding it against them, it's really hard to feel and understand the fullness of God's forgiveness for you, free of charge. When you're able to release them, you're able to understand that God doesn't just hold things against us. And the opposite is also true. When we understand that God holds nothing against us by Jesus, it's much harder to hold things against others. The bitterness of unforgiveness, the shame and guilt of not understanding God's forgiveness end up crippling us. We will never be free until we believe the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Peter was restored and he was able then to be free, no longer trying to prove himself no longer anxious. He had nothing to worry about. The third thing that happened besides the resurrection and his own forgiveness and restoration was Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit falls in Acts 2 as Jesus predicted on the disciples, including Peter. It's uh, visually like fire coming down and a rushing wind. And they begin speaking in other languages that the, the people gathered in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost from all over the world, from North Africa and from the Middle East and Arabia and from Europe. They, they hear these Galilean Jewish men talking and proclaiming the glory of God, the goodness of God in their language. 
with, from what we're getting, barely an, with no accent. Languages that, that they had never studied, they had never heard. The Spirit empowers them to declare who God is in this great and amazing way. Peter gets up and begins to preach. And you know, the, the amazing thing, if you look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in the book of Acts, the Spirit empowers the disciples to fulfill God's purposes. The Holy Spirit's primary purpose is not for, um, for my own good, actually, even though there's a lot of good that comes from the Holy Spirit being in a person who comes to faith in Christ. But the Spirit of God empowers Peter and all mainly for mission. It's so that they will know God's love for them so that they can love others, care for others, meet the needs of others, and bring the gospel boldly to others. It's so that God's kingdom is pushing forward. The Spirit falls not just to make me happy, but to make me become who God has made me to be, his person in this world for the good of others and his kingdom. And one of the primary ways that happens is because the spirit, when it falls, when the spirit of God falls in the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, is the very presence of God arrives in each believer. The Holy Spirit is God with you and for you, Peter. He experiences God with him and God for him in a way that even Jesus standing next to him couldn't do. Because now wherever he is, even if he can't see Jesus. In the past, he wanted to be near Jesus, right? That's why in John 21, when he sees Jesus on the shore, he dives into the water and swims to be with Jesus because the closer he is to Jesus, the safer he feels. But now the very spirit of Christ is indwelling him. God has taken up residence in him. God is always with him. God is for him. Peter gets assured by the Holy Spirit, as all of us do, of God's love. God is for you. He loves you. When, when you are doubting in guilt and shame, it's the Spirit that says, no, you are forgiven. You don't come to faith in Christ without the Holy Spirit beginning to work in you. When you come to faith in Christ, it is the Spirit who takes up residence in you and says, I love you. God loves you. Christ died for you. It's that constant assurance that we have or can have. And Peter also gets this in the assurance of the spirit dwelling in him. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and with you, Peter. Wherever you are, God is with you. Christ has taken up residence of you in the Holy Spirit. There's an incredible assurance that comes as we not only believe in Christ and the spirit takes up residence. But as we understand what that means, that God is always with us. Why? I, I think it's huge for us because we are very lonely and unsure people. We're constantly wrestling with ourselves. We live in a very lonely and isolated culture. We're not sure who's on our side. We are constantly wrestling with our own guilt and feeling like, gosh, we mess up so much, or uncertainty about whether we're loved and needing to prove um, and, and gain love from other people. And the Spirit 
says, I'm with you. I love you. I made you. You are mine. It's God speaking to us, assuring us, entering us, never leaving us, saying, I will defend you. I'm your advocate. I'm your guide. I'm your peace. The story of God's presence is actually the story of the Bible and of all creation. In Eden, Adam and Eve walk with God. They're literally in the presence of God. When sin comes, they're driven from the presence of God. And they have to, in centuries later, only find God in a building, sort of. But in Jesus, God takes up residence in a man and is present with us. In the end, God's presence will be everywhere. In eternity, there will be God filling all in all. We will have unhindered attention to the presence of God with us and for us. Now, it is the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in us. So wherever you are as a believer, wherever there are Christians who, who earnestly put their faith in God, wherever they are gathered, the Spirit is there. Wherever you are by yourself, the Spirit is there. God is with you. He is for you. He is fully and completely and totally present. And I believe you and I can never be fully ourselves apart from the presence of God. In Eden, Adam and Eve were fully themselves. In eternity, we will be fully ourselves. Now, it is empowered and filled and assured by the Spirit that we can be fully ourselves. The Spirit indwells, assures, and empowers Peter. And Peter is totally transformed. Or is he? Was Peter changed? over those weeks, months, between the end of Luke and these first chapters of Acts. I actually think Peter wasn't that much changed. <laughs> Peter was always daring and bold. He was always a leader. He was always willing to speak, right? He's the first one that says, you're the Christ. He's also the one who challenges Jesus. Don't go to Jerusalem. He's bold. He's the one who steps out of the boat to try to walk on water. He is a leader of men. Wherever he goes, he calls people to follow him. So he's always been bold. He's always led. He's always spoken. But in the past, he did so for his own purposes. He was trying to gain his own place, assure his own position in the kingdom of God as he thought Jesus was bringing it about. He was trying to prove himself amongst men. He was trying to be somebody for himself. And as a result, he was not free and fearless. When threats came, he became either defensive or scared to death. On the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he was scared to death. And he ran away, denying Jesus. But now, because of the resurrection, his own restoration and the power of the spirit, he is completely free and fearless 
to be the bold preaching leader for God's glory and not his own. He's able to be his true identity self. He's now the rock. He's now truly a fisher of men. The Holy Spirit enables Peter to be who he was meant to be, who he was created to be, and in a sense, always has been. What about you? Who has God made you to be? Are you completely fearless? Are you totally free? How big is your God? How deep do you understand the grace and love and forgiveness of God in Jesus? How much do you know and experience the spirit? God for you and God with you. There's so much that God wants to offer us in and through his son. He wants us to be transformed, to be the people God has made us to be. Let us pray. God, our Father, we are grateful for the sending of your Son for our salvation and for the gift of your Holy Spirit, your presence with us and for us. Give us this morning an experience of your presence, an assurance of our forgiveness, and an awareness of your bigness so that we might become who you have made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.